Now, before we go further, let's remember this epistle is written to the Christians that were undergoing very unimaginable, severe persecution by the Romans. All right? Their properties are taken away for being Christians. They get killed. They get maimed. Right? Their families get taken away from them. They were used as life, their life bodies were used as torches, flames to light up the streets of Rome for being a Christian. They were always falsely accused of, well, because of their belief, falsely accused of being um, antisocial and so on. So this is the environment these Christians are living in. All right? So now, let's start with question number one. It's 11.45. Oh, good thing I checked the time. All right. Um, can someone please make sure that we change the clock time? Now, state and quote, state why and quote the verses um, about why God allows trials in a believer's life. Like I said earlier on, this epistle is about Christians going through severe trials. What did God want them to learn? And what does God want us to learn, all right? So just quickly, Thomas, first one. Verse 7, very good. Chapter 1, verse 7, right? Chapter 1, verse 7, let's, let's look at chapter 1, verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than, than that... Let's read together, verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found unto the praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. All right, very good. Thomas, that's the easy part, right? So what's the lesson for you? <laughs> How are trials involved? Right? Well, this is, well, it is to honor God. Um, and, but this, is this to, you say it is to honor God, is it? To, to show glory to God, is it? Okay. Maybe I'll try someone else. Um, Alex. It is to test our faith. All right, first one is to test our faith, trial of your faith. And trial of the faith is very important, right? Now, Christians, please remember. Now, God says that trials in your life, whenever God allows trials, you may not be going to severe one, but someday some will come. It is for your faith, all right? First and foremost, it is for improving your faith, trying of your faith. It has something to do with that, all right? Now, they will be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, yes, of course, our um, right living, as Thomas rightly pointed out, well, without trials, then the Christian can't show that we live by faith, correct? So when you are on trials, make sure you live by faith. You can't show that you live by faith. You can't bring honor and praise to God's name. There's no difference between you and the unbelievers. So that's true. But now here, more importantly, at this juncture, Peter does say, unto praise and honor of glo and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, this is also about your eternal state. Your eternal state. Whether you will have praise from God. Now, whether you fail in trials or whether you pass in trials will be judged by God in this life. 
Don't fail. Always remember, every trial is a test. Every exam, you want to do well. Students, right? You want to do well at every test. So don't fail God. So God is telling us, these are tests. These are what God will bring praise to you, all right? Whether your faith is genuine or false, whether God will say to you, well done, thou good and faithful um, child of his, right? Good and faithful one. So, and to the praise and honour, well, we'll be honoured before men. Now, this honour is not an honour of, of um, feeling proud. But you will know, I did not betray my God. No matter how much it costed me at my workplace, in my school, in my home, among my relatives, I did not dishonour God. I did not betray Him. I did not fail Him. I did not make Him feel disappointed. So, Christians, the trial, our faith, uh, sorry, the trying of our faith has a purpose. When you have no trials, when you have nothing, and when you go to heaven, then you realize, maybe is it because God said, I won't even bother to, to test you. But when God allows tests, it's, it's, a, it's an honor to us. Remember the apostles, when they were, when they were beaten, all right? when they were imprisoned in horrible, terrible conditions, and when they were released, they praised God. They knew it was, they said it was a privilege that God counted them worthy to suffer. All right? So it's our honor to suffer for God and don't fail Him. And glory, of course, talks about, well, the finest, final glorious state. So now, point number, question, question number one must remind us. Paul, uh, Peter immediately wanted them to know, you are going through severe trials, but look at it from an eternal perspective. Christian, don't just enjoy sin for a moment. Don't just, for the, for the sake of, of um, not undergoing trials, suffering, for the sake of, well, not losing your job, not losing your position, for the sake of that, you fail God. This has an eternal impact on you. You live for yourself. And don't bother about living the Christian life. You won't face trials. The world will not persecute you. You're one of them. But when you do, remember this. It has eternal consequences. So Peter, right from the beginning, told them, you are an elect, you are saved. And let me tell you this. What you're going through, how you go through it, will determine what God will say to you when He meets you and will determine whether it will be honour or shame and embarrassment as you live before Him in eternity. Always remembering, oh yes, I failed God. I denied Him. I compromised. I was ashamed. I gave in. I was afraid. And you always remember that, that, that you failed Him, alright? So Peter started with that, alright? Now, so um, Thomas, this is not just about honouring God. God will talk about that later. But this is about your honour, your praise, and your um, final glorification before God. All right? So Christian, please know that. Don't, don't think that it has no eternal impact. Now also in, where else? All right? Oh, it's four minutes already. All right, anyone else? Uh, Vincent, where else? All right, chapter four, let's turn to chapter four. Very good. All right, chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice, right? It tells us when we are suffering, but rejoice. Let's read 13 together. But rejoice, 
inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Again, we are told. Now, your suffering now, whether it is, well, because of being, a, being uh, walking the Christian life, I lose friendships. I lose my job even. I lose many things. Now, God says, you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. It is a privilege. Can you imagine us being counted worthy to partake, to, take, to taste Christ's sufferings? Peter says, when we are allowed to taste what Christ goes through, they, they abused him. They laughed at him. They spat at him. All right? When people throw, throw the gospel track back in your face, when you evangelize, when you evangelize and your relatives laugh and mock at you, when you go to school and your friends, well, they leave you and they make you feel out, as an outcast. Now, God says all these are the things that Christ tasted. We are tasting a little bit. And he says, when you get to taste that, rejoice. Now he says, you shall be exceeding glad. Not just glad, you'll be exceeding glad at Christ appearing. That you did not fail him. That you stood like he stood. You behaved like your master. And when he appears, you'll be so thankful that you did not betray him. You'll be rejoicing. Now, these are things that the Christian must remember. For the sake of a little bit more money, you do not do God's will. You choose to compromise. Is it worth it? No, when Christ appears, there will be those that will be exceeding dread and there will be those who will be exceeding regretful. All right? Burnt up. All things burnt up. For the moment of being persecuted by families, by family members, for making a stand, for obeying the word of God, whatever it is that you're practicing, that you know that you should not compromise in, you should show a testimony to. Now, these people suffered far more frightening threats than just your family members getting upset at you, your boss getting upset at you, your friends getting unhappy with you. They suffered far more severe threats. But yet God says, if you live it through, on that day, you'll be exceeding glad. You will know it was worth it. You know, and people will know you were right. You were right. Why is it that you'll be exceeding glad? Because on that day, all the things that they said about you, whether it's Christians saying certain things about you, why do you live like that? Why must you be like that? Why are you stupid? Why do you believe in this? But when you see from God's word and you obey, they, on that day, even the believers will say, you were right. You were right. I'm so ashamed now. I was wrong. You rather them tell you now, all right, well done. Now you, now you follow the way we live. And on that day, you will have to also bow your head in shame and tell Christ, Christ, I was wrong. I knew what to do. You put me in a sound church. I learned the right things. But when the crunch came, I would not practice it. But if you did, you see, on the day when Christ appears, all will be known. All will be clear. You'll be exceeding glad. That you, that you, unbelievers will bow before God. Those that laugh at you and mock at you, they will say, you were right, and now I am going to hell. You were right. The Christians will say, you were right. Now for eternity, I will just have to remember, you were right. I was wrong. I should have obeyed God. Right? So, very good. Now, the last one is, one more. Um, Howard. 
Excellent. 5, verse 1. Okay, very good. Let's turn to chapter 5. Now, let's read together. Just read verse 10, all right? But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Before closing the epistle, Paul, uh, Peter told them, all this suffering, and he said it's for a while. The little while when your parents scold you. For a while. The little while of your life on earth. The little while of your friends mock you in school. That little while compared to eternity is nothing. And then he says, well, God tells us. Look at verse 10, all right? Sufferings does this for you. Christian, you must believe this. If one day you face trials, whether it's health, financial, job, family, whatever it is, please remember this verse. God said, I send it to you to achieve these four things. Let's see them. What is it? Number one, to make you perfect means spiritually mature. Your spiritual maturity is dependent on whether you go through trials or not. You must be exercised through trials. Later, we'll see another verse for this, all right? Then he says, now, for your spiritual maturity, if you want to remain a baby forever, then don't expect any knocks in life. Just, just I want to just escape everything. Don't escape trials, all right? Strengthen you, well, to give you strength. You always say, Lord, can you please give me strength? Lord, I want to be stronger in my faith. How to be stronger in your faith? Through experience. You experience something, you obey Him, and you see how you come out of it. And even if God does not deliver you, you know the peace, even though you go through the trials, God did not deliver you. But you realize that is peace. All this is to strengthen you. Then, well, the next one is... Um, well, perfect, established, strengthened. And the last one, to settle you, settle you, to make your life stable. You say, hey, hang on, troubles, I thought make my life very unstable. God says the opposite. When God allows trials, family challenges, all sorts of things, not of your fault, you don't understand why. Why is my child like that? Why is my family like that? Why are my friends like that? You don't understand why. But God says it is to make you stable. Uh, all the difficulties around them. They had no place to live. They had a wandering life. They lived from caves to cave. How is it stable? How is it settled? They don't have their homes. Their homes are taken away from them. They have to lock their babies and hide when they worship. How is it settling? It's unsettling. No, God says it settles you. How so? Now, it will build convictions in you like nothing else, that no matter what happens, you will never change your convictions. You would rather die than not worship God. You would rather die than not serve God. You would rather die and lose, you would rather lose everything and die than to be in, well, any situation that, well, it benefits you, but it is disobedient to God. It will create such a Christian in you. Do you want to be a Christian like that? Well, we dream of being a Christian like that. We pray to be a Christian like that. Then you cannot, well, avoid trials. Certain trials come your way, not by your doing. Certain trials come your way because you are taking a stand, because of your belief and your practice. It comes your way because of that. And that is when. Well, do you want to be mature? 
do you want to, well, be established? Um, I think I missed out established, right? Did I miss out established? Now, establish is actually to, well, deepen, all right, to, to solidify you. Now, the Christian convictions must be solidified. What do I mean by that? This establish you is building a resolve in you, all right, a, a resolution in you. Trials help you with that. In other words, when you say, Lord, I will live this way, I will obey you, I will not compromise, I will, I will not be in this kind of um, um, relationship or job or whatever it is, I will take care of my family this way. Now, you may say all those things, but God says it's only through trials that your resolution gets built up. means you experience. Now when the time comes, oh, now I really have to not compromise. Now I really have to give this up. Now I really have to. And then you do it. God says, then you experience it. You experience a resolution in your heart. So this is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. You see them about to take your properties away for them. We are now going to take your properties from you and your family and your children who have nowhere to go to school. They go to school back then. You realize that, right, parents? In fact, education system was then, was just like now. It's very, very prestigious and people, people look up to it. All right? So there are teenagers there as well. Teenagers also know, what? I can't go to my prestigious Roman school anymore? Yes. It is at that time that God says, and you resolve. But Lord, I will not deny your name that you are God. I will not deny that I must not be part of these things. I will not deny that. Then you experience your resolution by the grace of God grow. All right? So, sorry, I missed out established. All right, so all these things. You want to grow? Don't avoid trials. Go through it. Take the stand. Make the decision. Resolve. Then you will grow. You compromise, the opposite happens. You become weaker, weaker, and weaker. And every time you compromise, others will begin to expect that you compromise more. That's why when you don't take a stand at home, at the workplace, in Christendom, you will slowly but surely compromise. Now, next one, all right? I don't think we'll ever make it, all right? Let's, certain things are move faster, all right? Question number two. Now, state why and quote verses on why Christians must stop fashioning ourselves according to our old life. Now, very easy. This one I'll do with you, all right? Chapter 1, verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Now, here God already said, don't fashion yourself according to the former lust. Now, as obedient children. So, number one, why? Why? Because we are children of God. Children of God are to live our lives, like our church theme, walk as Christ walked, not walk as the children of the world, right? As obedient children. So number one, because we are children of God, then be like God. Now, number two, verse 15, because he hath called us, he who has called us is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because, well, our Father is holy, and he hath called us, saved us, and he wants us to be holy, then all aspects of our lives must be holy. We cannot be worldly Christians. 
We cannot, simply because we are God the Father's children. Now then, look at verse 16. There's one more. Uh, verse 17, sorry. And if he call on the Father who, without respect of person, judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now, not only because he's our Father, because he's holy and he wants us to be holy, but because God says he will deal with us, deal past our time on earth with fear, because God is no respect of persons. God will not say, oh, you're my child. Then I will excuse you for cheating, lying, compromising. Well, you are my saved people. Then I will excuse you. No, God says he is no respecter of persons. So Christian, when you're going through trials, also remember this. Because you are God's child, you cannot give the excuse that this is too difficult I will get thrown out of my house. I will be laughed at my, to my face. I will be mocked at the place of work. I'll be, um, I'll be um, um, treated as outcast in school. I will have no friends. You have no excuse. They went through far worse things than you. And God says, be holy. Be holy. Why can how dare we be worldly when these Christians live holy lives? We have no excuse to be worldly. Everything is going our way to live holy lives. So how much more will we be dealt with by God? So Christians do not give the excuse, this life, living this way is too difficult. God is no respecter of person, whether your life is easy or difficult. Just because God said, I allow trials in your life, then I will, be, I will remove my, my um, dealing with you if you compromise, if you sin. No. Just because you're born in a family that is, that, that is against your faith and then you compromise, no, God let you be born there. He's no respecter of persons. Now, not only that, all right? So let's pass our time here in fear. Let us live in fear. Fear that we fail God. Fear that we disappoint God. Fear that God will have to deal with us because you turn to chapter 4, all right? Peter reminds them again. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 17. Let's read together, verse 4, 17, chapter 4, verse 17. For the time is come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, God says that the time is come, judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, Israel was going through severe chastisement from God because of their rejection of the Savior. Jerusalem was, was sacked, all right? God did not say, well, you're my people. Well, you've been my people for these thousands of years. Then the way you behaved, I will let you off. No. God says, judgment began at the house. Many of these calamities that they're facing, this, judge, this persecution they're facing was also because of their sin. All right? Some, well, they're not born during the time when they rejected Christ. It's not because of their sin, but they will still go through trials. All right? Not of their fault but they still need to go through it. Alright, so Christian, please don't think that living a life that is not becoming of Christ because your life is difficult at work, because the situation is different, there is no such thing. God said, I'm no respecter of persons. Whatever situation you're in, whoever you are. Alright, God says, I will help you. I'm the God of all grace. Now, next one, alright? Question number two still, right? Um, 
Now, chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. I have chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Stop fashioning ourselves. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Now, God says, no, because, uh, let me see. Uh, why did I give this? On why, all right, why? Chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Now, verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Now, why must the Christian um, stop fashioning ourselves like the world, live like the world? Because Christ did not. And Christ, for not doing that, He suffered for us in the flesh. Then, Christian, we must choose such a life to crucify the flesh. We must choose such a life. We must not think that we should choose an easy life at the expense of obeying Christ. I'm not saying that easy life, we must seek a difficult life for the sake of being a martyr, all right? But if obedience brings that, then let's live that way. Now, maybe I ask this, sir. Uh, I, I think I wanted to ask another thing for question number two. Now, then, then how, should we, how should we decide? How should we um, resolve in our hearts not to fashion ourselves like the world? Now, look at how... I think it's here. Now, look at here. God says now, Arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. I think I'm answering that later, all right? So, please forgive me. Let's move on quickly. I'm really confused now because the time, wow, we are very far behind. Now, question number three. Now, state why and quote the verses on why the Bible is important to the believer. Well, here again, it's very straightforward. Maybe you'll give at least the verse. Right? Which end was the verse? Very good. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. All right, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So now here God tells us the word is important because it helps us to grow. So the question is, now why is it important to you? If you don't want to grow, yeah, it's not important to you. Every Christian must want to grow. All right? So it says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The word is important. It's the only thing on earth that will help you grow, Christian. Please remember that. There's this idea among Christians. They love to serve. Service doesn't help you to grow spiritually. I'm not saying service is bad. To some, it's a fellowship. I'm not saying fellowship, the right kind of fellowship, is evil. But it is not what helps you to grow as you need. Yes, fellowship sometimes it stirs us, it encourages us. But you can't depend on that. It's the word that helps you to grow. If you do not have your own quiet time, if you do not have a systematic way to study the Word, like coming to church for Bible study, doing DHW, doing FEBC courses. If that is not a natural part of your life, you are a very stunted babe. I just read that, wrote that in, in, in pastoral. All right? It's the only thing in this world that will help you to grow. Then with the Word, as you go through tribulation, as you take a stand and as you don't compromise, as you live for God a holy life, with the Word, it helps you to grow. All right? Now, so it is, it is crucial for your growth. You want to grow, you say. Then you have to resolve this here. The word will be a huge part of my life, personal as well as public. Now, what else? Um, look at chapter 1, verse 23, 20, 23 to 25. Now, God says, now, we are born 
being born again, not of incorruptible seed, but of the, in, but of the not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth thereof. Now, God is saying this. The word of God is the, word, is the thing that saved you. You are saved by knowing the word and the Holy Spirit takes the word to save you, to make you respond. The word is what saves you, not your friend. Please remember that. God used your friend, but God used the word. You are saved by the word. All right? Christ uses his word to let you know how he, how he worked out your salvation, that he is the saviour and what he did. So you're saved by the word. And God says, if you are saved by the word, Christian, think of this. The word is what took you from being a sinner, hell-bound, that hates God, that will never accept God, to turn you into a, sin, a, a, a saved person that wants to love God. Do you understand the power of God, of the word? If you are saved by the word, then live by the word. Grow in the word. Use the word. Use the power of the word to help you to grow. Don't just use the word to, to, to save yourself. And that's it, all right? So that is why the word is important. Now, there is another reason, all right? Look at verse 25. All flesh is as grass and all the um, glory of men as the flower of grass. And you know the grass withereth and the flower um, thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. What is God saying? You look at everything around you. Beautiful, flowers, flowers of the grass everywhere. Have you looked closely at the flowers of the grass? Now, I remember when I taught this verse. Then I was um, outside with Sharon and we, we looked at some grass. And I told Sharon, flowers of the grass, what is it? And I squatted down and looked intently. I took a photograph of it with a magnified, um, with, my, with my phone to magnify. It is actually very, very beautiful. It's very intricate. All right? And God says, the flowers of the grass. Have you realized that they're actually very beautiful? But they are everywhere. But the point is this. They wither. Everything that you see that is beautiful will wither. The only thing that lasts is the Word of God. In other words, God says everything that you live by, if you live by the Word, if you listen to the Word, if you follow the Word, even when you are under a trial, if I don't take this job, I have no job. If I don't, um, if I don't continue in this relationship, I will, may not get married. If whatever it is in that situation, you have to remember the word saved you. You can trust it. If the word tells you that this is wrong, then trust it and follow it. Because whatever the word gives you is something that will last eternally. What you choose to do or obtain now will only last in this world at the most. So Christian, what the word gives you is something that is eternal. Remember in the beginning, Paul, Peter reminded them, now, the trial of your faith, if you obey God, it will be to your honor, it will be to your praise, it will be to your glory. That is what the word does in, for your life. Young ones, students, don't listen to the world and follow the wisdom, the philosophies, the values of the world. They do not give you lasting usefulness at all. Maybe very good, temporary, that's all. Next one. All right, so that's why the word is so important. If there's any one thing that you say, what can I trust in with all my life without even blinking and without even needing to think about it? It's the Word of God. Do you like to have something like that? That someone says, just, just, just 
believe this, you don't even need to think. Just trust it. It will always be right. That is what is the word. That is why the word is so precious. Now, question number four. Now, state and quote verses about what we are to be on earth and why we ought to be so. Now, this one is too straightforward, right? Chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. So now Peter comes to this point, all right? Peter comes to the point where he tells the believer, please know your identity on earth. All right, now look up here, all right, for a moment. All right, you don't have to do this, but think about this. You just look at the person on your left and right, all right? And then you look yourself at the mirror. Do you know your identity as a Christian? What are you really as a Christian on earth? This is what it is here, all right? So you say, what's, your, what's written on your identity card? This one. What's your citizenship? Is also this one, all right? Now, let's look at it. Chapter 1, verse 23, all right? Eight, sorry. Um, chapter 2, verse 9. Now, let's read verse 9 to 11, uh, verses 9 to 11 and 12, all right? Reading 11 to 12. Sorry, verses 9 to 12, reading. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, here is your identity card. Both who you are, what you do, and your citizenship. Look at verse 9. You are a chosen generation. Now, it begins with a royal priesthood. First and foremost, no, we are chosen. We are not saved randomly. God has a reason for us in every generation, living in every generation. Even in this generation, you are the following. Number one, you are a royal priesthood. Now, what does it mean? All right, because I ask, right, state what we are on earth and why we ought to be so. You are a royal priesthood. What are you then? You say a royal priesthood. Now, royal means this. You serve a king. That's why it's not just priesthood, but a royal priesthood. You serve a king. This priest serves the king. So you must know who your, who your governor is, Christ. Not people of the world. Then priesthood. Now, priesthood means you are people that bring people to know this God, right? Priesthood, all right? People to know how to re get forgiveness. That is what you're supposed to be on earth. Or are you, well, a famous businessman and that is, what, that is all that you are and you intend to be? Are you a very famous um, engineer or teacher or uh, lawyer or whatever, doctor, whatever, you name it, all right? Are you a famous and that is it? Or are you a royal priesthood? Now, that is why we have to share the gospel. You are a priesthood. That is what it is. And the priesthood, well, leads to the next one. And holy nation. Priests are holy people. Not worldly, carnal. You don't behave, dress, think 
like the world, pursue things of the world. Priests don't do that. A holy nation, all right? A people that belong together as a nation. For us, the church. A peculiar people. A treasured people of God. Peculiar. You are strange, strangely His, all right? Uniquely His. A peculiar people. It's very, very wonderful to hear God calling you a peculiar people. We all together as a church. It's very precious to God. He set us apart, peculiar to Him, unique to Him. Now then the next one, he says, um, now then why, why, how must we behave? Why, why must we do that? You should show forth the praises of Him. Now why must we do that? Verse 9, we must do that because we must glorify God. Why? Because He is our King. We, we serve Him. We represent Him. So the first one that you must remember is in verse 9. We are to glorify God. Why? Because we are royal priesthood. When people look at you, who do they glorify? When people look, like, look at you, who do they see? They see the world or they see Christ? They see a greedy person? They see a worldly person or they see Christ? A royal priesthood must be very clear. Once people see them, see the royal priesthood, they know they, these are the priests of the heavenly king. Not these are the priests of the of, of the temples of the world. They dress, look like the world. No. So Christian, you must, the moment people see you, they must say, this is a Christian. He or she is not one of us. I wonder why. Or, one of us, what's the point of listening to you? Right? Christian, you are, a, you are saved as a stranger and a pilgrim. You, sorry, as a royal priesthood. Don't be a worldly person. You're not safe for that. So because of that, you must glorify Him. Now, verse 10, all right? Why we ought, why, <clears throat> verse 10. In time past, you were not a people, but now a people. We must show gratefulness. We must show gratefulness. You are, you are people, I know you are suffering. I know you are going through those things. But please remember, you were not a people of God. means you were actually outcast going to hell. When God saved you and I, we became part of God's people. Do you understand what that means? We will never end up in hell. What should that do to us? Be very grateful and live for Him. Young person, today being grateful is, is something forgotten. It's not being grateful. It's being demanding. It's being self-centered and it's being expecting things from people. That is not the thinking of a Christian. Please change. God says, you are not people, now you have, your people, they have not have obtained mercy, now you have obtained mercy. Then now live like someone who is grateful to God. Don't keep arguing with God. You can, can you imagine, all right, parents, your child keep arguing with you? You spend your life bringing them up. You work hard to give them an education so that they can make a living. You did a lot of things for them when they are sick. And then they keep asking, why? Why must I obey you? Why must I listen to you? You ask me to do this, why must I do it? Why? Right, leave. Leave me alone. Can you imagine when your children say that? Well, we are like that. We got the Father when we say, we have obtained mercy which we do not deserve. We must be then grateful, all right? Not keep challenging God. God, why you allow this? Why, why, why? Everything, why? Well, young people, be the same. Now, next one, all right? So we, we must glorify God. We must show gratefulness. Yeah, and so these are the things, all right? Some, some of the reasons. Then next one. What else? Verse 11, we are strangers and pilgrims. Alright? We are strangers and pilgrims. 
Now, we are strangers and pilgrims. What does it mean? This world is not our home. It means that we are on our journey to another country. How do you look at your life on earth? Your identity card tells you, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven, God's people. I belong with them. I belong there one day. And now, till then, I live like that country's citizen. You know, one of the struggles that many of us, when we move to Australia, we still think of our former country. In our country, that's not how they do it. That's not how they, they live. That's not how they... We think of that, right? Say, oh, why is it here? Why is it like that here? Why are we not like that when it comes to citizenship of heaven? This is not how a heavenly citizen dresses. This is not how a heavenly citizen spends his time, money, resources, pursuits, life. This is not how I live. All right? Now, remember when we read in chapter 1, verse 15, verse 17, spent past the time of your sojourning here in fear. The repeated reminder, we are sojourners, just passing through. So Christians, please don't build your home and your treasures and your roots on earth. Whatever you do, do not let it be something that will make you rooted on earth. Always be ready to let go of it. Whatever it is that you, you have, that you do, always think, look at those things as at any time, if I'm asked to let go of it, I'm a sojourner. These things are not for me. If God wants me to relinquish them, I relinquish them. I serve a king of a different country, all right? Don't feel permanent in this world. Feel very uncomfortable and just long for home, all right? Don't feel permanent in this home. As I shared to some people, now I, I, I feel very strange now. Sharon and I both feel very strange because when we go back to Singapore, we don't feel like Singaporeans. When we come here, we don't really feel like Australians. We kind of feel like we belong to nowhere, all right? We have changed because both countries are different to us now. And suddenly, we, suddenly this verse came to my mind. That is how I should feel every day of my life on earth. I don't feel any sense of belonging and rooting myself here at all. All right? Whether it's bringing up your family, especially that, in fact. Okay, let's move. Now, in, in fact, look at verse 12, right? Now, because you are strangers and pilgrims, Look at verse 11. Because you are strangers and pilgrims, God pleads with us, abstain, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Now it tells you this. What, what lusts do you have, Christian, in your life? What are the lusts? What are the addictions? What are the things that you really want to have? I, you know, no matter what I learn, no matter what I, it is, this is one thing that I really want in my life. Whatever it is, is it a certain job, a certain standing in society, a certain achievement in life, whatever it is, this is one thing that I really want. Now, God says this, it will war against your soul. It will be something that will keep fighting with you. It will keep fighting for your affections, your affections that belong to your heavenly king. You will keep fighting it all your life. You want to live a Christian life. That is, I don't have a sense of belonging here. Anything is gone, is gone. It doesn't matter. Or you want to have a life that something that I must have and I will pursue. Yes, I will pursue Christ, but this on the side is something that I will always make sure that I keep an eye on and I'm pursuing. You will have a very miserable life. A Christian that will constantly fight a civil war within you. But those that say strangers and pilgrims, whatever... It's taken, it's taken. Whatever is not for me, so be it. 
you will not have walls within your soul. Next one. All right? Well, before we move on, all right, question number four. Now, please, when, before we move on from this, let us settle one thing from First Peter. And I hope that you remember this lesson from First Peter. We are strangers and pilgrims. Let us settle in our heart the way we sojourn, we walk in this world. Let it be a walk like Christ walked. Go and read the gospel, how Christ lived on earth. Did Christ amass things? Did Christ say, I must have this? Lord, Father, I come to do your will, but at the same time, I also want to be king. Right? Can I be king and also die for his people? No. That was not the Father's will. Right? Will you be someone that settle once and for all in your life? If you have been thinking the Christian life can be, well, live for the world and live for Christ, and still come to church and live the church life, and then still at the back, back burners, something is burning in the back, and you're still intending to pursue something that you know is going to war within your soul, you need to realize once and for all, there is no such a life for a Christian. It is not, not the life for a Christian. Please remember that, all right? We are strangers and pilgrims. Now, question number five, quickly. Now, who are we supposed to be submissive to? All right, this, you know it very well. All right, I just run through it very quickly. The king, in other words, civil authorities. All right, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Civil authorities. Chapter 2, 18 to 25. Masters. Well, these will be authorities at work, in school. At home, all right? You have to submit. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 18, verses 1 to 8. Husbands, all right? This refers to wife. Submit to your own husbands, right? Verse 9. Well, spouses to be kind one to another, all right? So there is a gentle kindness and love for one another as well, all right? But the wife is always to submit to the husband as head of the home. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Appointed elders, all right? Chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, appointed elders of the church, all right? The teaching elder, which is the pastor, the administrative elder, which is the administrative elder, all right? Now, anyone else have anything else? Chapter? Chapter 5? Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, what is it? Very good, all right? This was the one I was waiting for. Chapter 5, all right? So that you find it, I can understand, all right? If you don't know, and because it was not covered with you. Now, look at chapter 5. Now, let's read verse, um, verse 6. Uh, verses 5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you subject one to another. And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, submission to God. Now, please remember, everything that God asks you to submit to, mass, um, civil authority, well, um, home authority, government, uh, work authority, school authority, husband, uh, elders of the church. Now, ultimately, this is God telling us. Now, if you are not someone that will submit to God, then you will resist all of the above or some of the above. Do you understand what God is saying? I have just told you 
that these are the people that you must submit to unless they're asking you to do something sinful, right? You must submit to them. But I told you so. If any one of us resists any one of them, it's easy. We, we know all the, all the one, two, three, four, five, five or six crores. We know. But if any one of us refuses any one of them, you are saying, God, I will not humble myself under your mighty hand. What you want me to do and submit to, I will not do it. All right? So ultimately, submission to any of the above is your, your test of submission to God. And of course, then the trials in life. Why am I having this financial loss? This, unless you go and be a gambler, right? Then you know why. Right? It's not of your fault. Right? Why am I having this health problem? Right? Why have, do I have this um, um, particular family problem or difficult workplace? Why? If it's not due to your sin, if it's due to your disobedience and then you choose it, then yeah, of course, God says you deserve those things. It's chastisement. But if it's you, in your heart you know and you've obeyed the word of God and it's not contravening anything in God's word and then you suffer, God says, that is my plan for you. Submit. Submit. Some of them may say, I was not born at the time when they rejected Christ. I was born later. I'm just a young teen now. Why am I going through persecution? It's not my fault. But God says, well, that is what I appointed you to be born into at this time. Then submit, all right? So submission. Submission is a thing that Christian must remember in 1 Peter is covered extensively, all right? Now, why? Because in society, they were blamed for many things. Christian, don't be one that fight against. Keep wanting to protest. Keep wanting to go against everything in school, in society. Among the, in, to, towards the government. If it's not something sinful, it's not that we cannot petition, we cover all that. But don't be someone that's a fight, have a fighting spirit. It's always must be fight for this, fight for that. Then Peter told them, I know it's very unfair to you, but the way you show the difference is submission. All right? Please know that. Now, question number six. State what, and quote the verses, all right, so you know this, chapter 3, verse 15. We must always be ready to do this. Chapter 3, verse 15. Let's read together, chapter 3, verse 15, reading. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, a few things we must remember here. They were going through tremendous persecution, but they had no excuse not to be always ready to witness, to explain their faith. They were accused of many false things. You know, Christians believe in, in this. Christians are going to overturn the Roman government. Christians believe there's only one king, Jesus, and therefore they will revolt against the, the, the emperor of Rome. They were accused of all this kind of thing. It's not true at all. All right? Christians, well, they, they don't go for parties. They don't go to all these um, um, performances. So they are causing problems in society. They are the ones, this is literally what happened. They are the ones that are causing society to have problems. Isn't it, doesn't it sound familiar? Because we take a stand against something. You're, you don't want your children to participate in something in school. You don't want to be part of certain things at work. You, you don't agree with certain um, 
uh, values in society, they are unbiblical, they will say, you are the problem makers. Now, they were facing that. Exactly that. In other words, Christian, you must be ready to explain, no, we are not against this if we are not against it. If we are against it, then explain to them. No, it's not what you understand. They have very distorted understanding of what Christians believe. You can say, I have enough problems. I have work problems, I have family problems, I have health problems. Go away, don't disturb me. I have no time to tell you these things. You can't. They have properties just taken away from them. And for the very same person that say, I'm doing this because you are a problem to society with meekness and fear. Yes, you're taking away my property, but I need you to, I want you to understand. No, no, what they say about Christians is not true. This is what we believe. That is how you must live. All right? Don't be like, oh, yeah, you know, my relatives, they always make noise, always curse me and make fun of me. The Christian must have meekness and fear. A meekness, a fear for their souls also. And explain to them, you know, when God says this, it's not when God does this, it's not because He hates you. Right? Capital punishment is not hate. Right? Let me explain to you why Christians believe in this and so on. Well, on Sunday night, someone just shared, you know, I had to share my colleagues why I don't drink. Um, um, I don't drink alcoholic beverages. They don't understand. You must be ready to explain right, your faith so that when they listen, oh, it makes sense. Oh, I begin to understand why you believe in that. They may not agree, but at least they understand. So Christian, you must be ready. What's the point of keep attending BBK, FEBC courses, DHW, and learn everything, and then just always a quiet person and doesn't say anything at all? When people say the wrong, what, believe, what Christian beliefs are wrong, you keep quiet as well. I don't bother to answer. Or, yeah, I remember we studied this, but yeah, I don't remember why. Neither do I really care to explain to people. But God says they are under persecution. They must. It's the best time to explain Daughter, son, why are you not doing this? Why are you not going to um, church with us or, or our church? Or whatever it is. Why are you not drinking? Why are you? We have given you thorough um, explanation of the word to show off that we are a very thorough church. You see, even God, even Thunder disagree. No. All right. No, it is to make you be able to explain why do you keep the Sabbath day, the whole day? Your church is extreme. We are living in the New Testament. We are not under the law. Why do I show you verses? Why do I explain to you? Please write this down. Write these three points down. Why creation is creation seven literal days? Why it is? Write it down. Why do I ask you to do that? Christian, we live on earth to help people know the truth. All right? So why do I encourage you to take notes? For what? Because God says strangers and pilgrims, sojourners on earth, that is why God left us here. If, if, if God were to just take us, save us and take us to heaven, we don't need to do, we are left here to do these things. Christian, I really hope you do this, alright? I'm speaking passionately because there are many Christians who misunderstand the faith. They have such distorted ideas about Christianity. And then you don't bother to learn. Ah, don't come for Bible study. What for? What for, you say? I've, I've work problems. I have so many problems. They have far worse problems. They don't even have a home to sit down to study God's Word. All right? All right, so 
please be Christians like that. I seriously hope that BPCWA, um, as we do our part to teach you, you don't fail God, all right? Now, let's move quickly. I won't say this before I move. Now, if after all these years, people ask you, why creation days? Why, is, why seven days? Why keep the Sabbath? Why keep the Ten Commandments? And you still cannot give a good answer. You must know, I have failed. I have failed very miserably as a stranger and pilgrim. Parents, if you can hardly still answer questions to your children, you have failed God very badly. Please know that. Don't take this lightly. You will stand before God one day and say, I left you there as a stranger and pilgrim. Why do I ask you questions? Not to embarrass you. To make you pay attention and make you think. But if month after month you cannot answer, there is a something seriously wrong. Either you're not saved or you're not interested to learn, to grow for yourself and to help others. All right? That's my conclusion. I move on. All right? Now, question number... Um, so meekness and fear, not pride. Let me not forget to say that. It's not, let me show off to you what I am able to tell you why you are wrong. All right? I have all my rebuttals ready. Ha! You see? Are you embarrassed now that you're wrong? It's meekness and fear. Meekness. We studied meekness. I'm not going to go through that. Fear. A fear of God. All right? A fear of handling the truth wrongly. A fear of not being able to explain the truth when you've been given it and now God says, explain it to this and you cannot. That fear, all right? Now, question number seven. What does 319 mean? 319, all right? All right, this I ask the teens, all right? This you must know, all right? You covered. 319, um, uh, teen. Jillian. Hey, no, you're not teen anymore. You're not even university anymore, all right? Let me pick... Let me pick another one. You just got upgraded, all right? Uh, Jennifer. What does three, chapter 319 mean? That Jesus went to hell? No. All right. So what did you understand it to be? It's one of the often misunderstood verse. Christ preached to Noah. All right. But how about the spirit? Right? right, by which he, the spirit by which is the spirit, the spirit by which also he went to preach unto the spirit. Now, are these people in prison? Means they are in hell. Who are these people? They are during Noah's time. Why do you call people in prison? Say again. Bondage of sin. All right, All right, very good. So now this simply means look at. Now, I want you to be clear in this. Uh, it's uh, always a passage that people say um, that Christ went to hell, number one. And number two, there are, there are souls, Christians, in, in prison, in hell now. And then, well, Christ has to go and release them. Or there are people living somewhere in between. You see, people interpreted all sorts of wrong things from it. It's very simple. Look at verse 18. All right? By the Spirit, which is at the end, by which means by the Spirit also, Christ went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Christ, during Noah's time, sent the Holy Spirit to know, empower Noah to preach to the people that the souls of the people that were in the bondage of sin. 
unbelievers, in other words. Now, to prove to you, Peter wrote in second, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, Peter actually elaborates himself here. Chapter 2, verse 5. Now, God says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Who are the world of the ungodly? All those unsaved persons that were still in the bondage of sin at that time, that world that would not turn to Christ. These are the ungodly. All right? Who preached the gospel to them? The Bible tells us. Noah, the preacher of righteousness. All right? So Peter actually explained chapter 3, verse 19 in a later letter written to them. Christ, right, sent Noah as a preacher and we know that preaching of the gospel is by the Spirit and is preaching to the ungodly people of the world then. All right? So is that. There's no such thing as Christians need to be... Now, let me explain to you why I explain this again and again. Because this spawn, this wrong interpretation spawned the idea among many Christians, that, especially the Baptists, for example, the Old Testament saints, all right, they were not saved yet. They, they died and they had went to hell or somewhere in between. And they were stuck there. It's only when Christ came and died and went to the cross. And during that three days when Christ was buried, all right, Christ went to release these prisons, went to preach to these Old Testament people and release them. Now, this is a very distorted understanding because Peter explained it in chapter 2nd epistle that he wrote. He explained what he meant. Now, then we come up with distorted understanding of scriptures and the Old Testament people, they're not, really, they're not saved by grace. They had to wait till this time. Do you understand the grave error, this misinterpretation? That is why I repeatedly spend time on it. So, goes back. Are you ready to be able to give an answer to Christians who say, oh, say all these things? I hope so. Now, verse chap, uh, question number eight, quickly. I'm getting more and more awake, but you're getting, because I'm talking, so now I need you to get more and more awake. Question number eight. Now, state how and quote the verses about how we should respond to unbelievers who think it's strange that we do not run with them anymore. All right? Okay. Um, Cornelius. Um, uh, verses about where is it found first about unbelievers saying oh you don't run with us anymore chapter very good chapter 4 say again chapter 4 verse 4 alright chapter 4 verse 4 tells us well they think it's strange that you don't run with them hey hang on at this point I have to say this now now, this is one very good example of why Christians should use hard copy Bibles. Hard copy Bibles. When you realize that you use hard copy Bibles and you do, when you want to have an overview, you see all of them at one shot. You can scan. If you use handphones, it's just one screen and you scroll, 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 scroll. So you don't get that picture, all right? I strongly encourage you to always use a hard copy Bible. All right? I've written about that as well. When you read, use a hard copy Bible. So, now, Cornelius, when I ask you, you use a hard copy Bible, right? Do you, it's one of the re reasons that make it easier is you know roughly at which part of the page of the Bible? 
top left, bottom left, right. That's how it is, right? After some time, you can't really remember. You want to explain to someone, give them an answer. I know it's in First Peter, but ah, I think it was somewhere on the right-hand side at the bottom, that kind of thing. It's very useful. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Well, you can do a word search as well, I guess. But devotion and all that, you get a good overall picture. All right, so I'll come back to this. Now, so, well, what should we do? Now, how should we respond? So, good. Now, Cornelius, you found that verse, but how should we respond? All right, maybe i ask, um, ask uh, Michelle, how should we respond? You jump to verse 7, okay? This is how you should respond. Okay, very good. All right, so one of, one of it is verse 7. It is true. When people mock you, when people want you to run with them and you're tempted, one of the things that God says, well, be sober and watch unto prayer. You are tempted to run with them again. How do you respond? God says, pray. Be sober means what? Think carefully. Think clearly. All right? When you take a whole step back, be sober. Take a step back and think about this. Have a clear mind and pray. All right? Then you won't be tempted. Now, very often we fall into sin when people say, hey, let's go, let's do this, let's... And then you just do it. It's because you did not stop and be sober. And think, I am a stranger and pilgrim. When people look at me, when they look at how I live, it should be reflective of a royal priesthood. You see, you're thinking using God's word. And then you pray, God, I am tempted. God, give me strength. And God will answer that prayer. All right? So very good. This is how you respond. Now, how else do you respond? And this one, you all have to answer, right? Um, uh, this time I can ask Gillian. Gillian, how else to respond? Verse 13 and 14. No, there is suffering. This is temptation to run with them. All right? So you misunderstood the question. Um, uh, Justin. Say again. Verse 6, all right? Now it says, now then it says, um, for this cause was also the gospel preached unto them, um, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but, but live according to God in the spirit. It means this, all right? They, they judge you, all right? They make fun of you, they make their assessment about you, you're stupid to believe in a God. But God says, well, live according to God in the Spirit. Let, let them judge you. Let them judge you. All right? That they might be judged according to men in the flesh. Let them judge you. But don't stop living according to God in the Spirit. You know what does that mean, right? Walk in the Spirit, and you will fulfill the lust thereof. Means obey the Word, all right? Follow the Word. Let the Word take you. Now, okay, I'll give the rest of the answer quickly, all right? Now, um, Verse, question number 8, right? Now, chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Now, look at verse 1. How to respond? For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise. So the first thing you do, arm yourself with this. All right? Forewarn is forearm. Arm yourself with what kind of mind? This is the mind. Um, the same mind of Christ. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. When you are tempted to run with them, the friendships to carry on with the friendships that you know are drawing you to be worldly, not like a royal priesthood. 
It's not making you like a stranger and pilgrim. It's making you someone who is more and more like the world and, like, and love the world. When all these things are happening, and then they say, let's go party. And then they say, let's attend this and attend that. And you know that there's not a place that a Christian should be found in. And all those things, and you're tempted in your heart. God says this, arm yourself with this mind, that they have suffered in the flesh, have ceased from sin. Do you know what that means? Who remembers? Ellen, do you remember what it means? They have suffered in the flesh, have ceased from sin. This is how you must think. Do you not remember? All right, what it means is this. Christian, this is how we must arm our minds every day before we go to school, before we go to work, before we look after our family. Arm yourself this mind. They that have, um, they that have suffered, have seen, suffered in the flesh, have seen on screen. means this. You have crucified your flesh. Suffering in the flesh means you have crucified your flesh. You will cease from sin. God says, in other words, you must make up your mind to suffer. You must make up your mind that you will give up these things. And giving them up is painful. If, if you get married and you have a child, especially, and you don't want to stop working, it is, unless you say, I have made up my mind that I will suffer well, the mockings of friends, loss of financial, whatever it is. You have become a father. And you know you no longer, even before you became a father, there are many things that you no longer can spend that kind of time doing. Or that, to be that kind of example at home. I'm lazy, I don't, don't really bother, I let, let wife decide. You no longer, you decide, you make up your mind, I, have I will crucify the flesh. They that have suffered. Christ have made up his mind, he will not sin. Christian, unless you make up your mind that you will not return to that friendship, to that life, to those pursuits, unless you have made up your mind to crucify the flesh, to suffer that, you will not you will not live the strangers and pilgrim's life. You will still want to live the half world and half pilgrim's life. You have to make up your mind, God says. Alright, so you will never turn back. You have to make up your mind, I will never turn back to the old life, old friendships, old relationships, old lifestyle, old places of sin, old sinful habits, old addictions. This is over. Well, that is how we must live as strangers and pilgrims. This is over. Joseph is dead. I will not listen to him anymore. Right? Now, question number nine. Uh, all right, question number nine is quick. Now, what is hospitality? Please remember, it's made up of two words. Love, strangers. Christian, let's, let's understand this. We are told to be hospitable. Hospitable, the word means lovers of strangers. In other words, the Christian cannot be only hospitable to people we like, people we are close to, people that we gravitate to. If you are someone that tends to stick to someone, then you must realize, oh, I should realize now. I'm not saying that we don't have good friends, closer friends, all right? But when it comes to hospitality, it is you have a natural interest in strangers. For this, I want to bring us to remembrance. When you see a new person in the fellowship, when you see a new person in church, your natural 
as a Christian, your natural behavior, your natural working of the heart is, ah, newcomer, I want to make the person feel welcome. I want to make the person feel comfortable. I want that person to feel that way. That is a Christian's heart. Now, it's painful very often where I see young, young teens, preteens join Upstairs Fellowship. And then after that, you see the girls or the boys, they group about themselves. And then you see that poor little girl or little boy or that newcomer, they just sit there, they feel very uncomfortable. They come in, they sit down, and then when people come in, hi to everybody, but they leave them out. And then they plong next to their close friends or people they like to sit with, and they leave the new person to struggle with the Bible and all. It's very painful. Christians, I teach this not because, because I want a church to look hospitable. God says you must be hospitable. If you're a person who, when a new person comes in, you don't even bother to walk up to, want to talk to a person, there's no inclination in you for that, you are not supposed to be the Christian you're supposed to be. You're not the Christian you're supposed to be. Christians are supposed to be like that, a lover of strangers, all right? So I hope it doesn't mean like, after, after worship, we announce who are here for the first time so that we, we can welcome you. Only two or three persons go up to talk to the person. The rest are busy running to carry babies, to talk to their close friends, and, or to run off for lunch. It's not supposed to be the Christian testimony, all right? So have a natural heart for them. Don't have? Well, do it, and you build it up, okay? So don't say, oh, it's for the evangelism committee. It is not. It is for Christians, all right? So we are to be hospitable. Sign of hospitality, a natural inclination to make newcomers welcome, comfortable, all right? So that is what we are. Now, what about steward? Steward are people who are entrusted, entrusted with the responsibility of managing resources for someone else, all right? Entrusted with the responsibilities to manage resources on behalf of someone else. And the resources do not belong to you. All right, so Christian, we must remember as strangers and pilgrims on earth, all that God gives to you, your skill sets, your education, your money, your time, your health, all this, we are just stewards of them on earth as a stranger and pilgrim to live the stranger and pilgrim life and to be a hospitable person, all right? Now, I hope that we settle this once and for all in our heart. A job is just a job. A job is just to help you live your stranger's and pilgrim's life. Education is just an education. It's just education to help you get a job one day. That is all. It is not an end. You are a stranger and pilgrim. Everything given to you is to help you study God's Word, that you may grow, be holier, be a testimony, don't make wrong decisions that will stumble others, that will bring consequences, and then also be able to help others know the truth. You go to work, you know the truth. You have Christian friends in, in charismatic churches, in um, unbiblical churches. You don't say a single word because they may get offended. Why do you think God gave you a job? You are a steward. Why do you think God gave you a job and put you there? In school, likewise. Your friends, they want to go to church and you don't say anything. You don't invite them. And the next thing you know, they're invited to a charismatic church. And then you scramble. 
hey, come to our church, hey, visit our church. The church is no good. It's too late. They went there. They built friends there. They can't tell the difference at that time. They decide to stay. We are stewards. You are in school to be a witness. I, I said this a few times, right? Sometimes people come and then we find out, oh, we actually know the person and we never invited the person to church. And the person was looking for a church all the while, right? A job is just a job for you to be a steward there. That's all. And everything that you have is to be used for the people of God and for God's work. Look at every single cent that you have like that, all right? Every skill set that you have like that. And say, oh, can you help in church in this ministry? Too busy. Too busy, why? Because I have the skill set to do this for, the, for my workplace and this skill set for my workplace. If I use it for my workplace, I will be a great performer and I will get promoted. I'm too busy doing that with this skill set. When the skill set is given by God, a job is just a job. It's to help you, enable you to be able to serve God and to be a witness, a light as a stranger and pilgrim there, all right? All right, so now, we are not going to finish, you know, right? Um, state why and quote question number 10 why we should rejoice when persecuted alright so we've given a few reasons already um, I think you know already I'll, I'll just jump to one why should you rejoice now look at um, chapter 4 verse 14 now children when you go to school and your friends don't hang out with you and you find yourself alone in the library when they all went to that party or that gathering and then next day you turn to you turn up in school and then you find yourself so alienated or they they talk about their results they talk about and then you find yourself so alienated same for the working people how should you feel look at verse 14 let's read together now if you be reproached chapter 4 14 if you be reproached for the name of christ happy are ye for the spirit of glory of and of god resteth upon you on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, God says, when you are reproached, because, what did he say? For the name of Christ, for being a Christian. Whatever the reason of that reproach, because you're, whatever that is, that, that reproach is, because you're a Christian. Why do Christians don't do this? Why do Christians do this and that? Now, when, when that happens, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory rests upon you. Literally, when you saw Christ walk up of the water, when you read about Christ walk up the water and the Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God descend upon Him, God says that is happening to you at that time. You may feel, your face may be welling up in embarrassment and your cheeks burning with, with embarrassment and shame when your parents are scolding you, reproaching you for, for not compromising or for believing in living in a certain way. Your face may be, and people around you may be standing there and then they're all looking at you and they also feel embarrassed for you. Do you know at that moment, God opens up your spiritual eyes and let you see the Spirit of God rests upon you. Not come upon you, you know. Rest. He comes and He stays. It's almost like someone being, being bullied and you, you don't want to, but you're in that situation. It's almost like this very, very big, gentle, kind-hearted person walks up to you and just embrace you, hug you and say, I know how you feel. But keep doing that. That is what God is assuring you as a stranger and pilgrim living out your Christian faith. I lost my job because I took a stand. 
Know that God says the spirit of glory, now of glory and of God, the power to be able to go through it. It's not the spirit of glory where God says, now this is, this is your glory, your commendation. But the power of God as well, the power, I will see you through it. I will help you through it. I will give you the peace as you go through it. Now look at the second part of verse 14. Then it says, on their part is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. They may be speaking evil about Christianity. They may be speaking evil of your form of Christianity, your brand of Christianity, or life of consecration and separation. They may be speaking evil of all that. But God says, but on your part he is glorified. Do you know what it means, on your part he is glorified? He said, no God, everyone is laughing at me. Everyone feeling embarrassed for me. Why do you say you are glorified? Do you know how is God glorified when everyone is laughing? The angels, the angels in heaven will look at you and say, glory to God. This child loves the, his Savior so much that this child will not deny Christ, will not compromise. That's why God is glorified. Christian, when you obey God, the whole world may laugh at you. Your whole family may ridicule you. But please know, God is glorified. Other Christians will look. Now, do you believe me that even unbelievers will glorify God in their heart? Some may secretly in their heart say this. No, I cannot understand this, this girl or this boy. All these things that he's going through. No friends. Embarrassed at work. Everyone going to the party. They are not. Next day, they are left out. I don't understand this boy or this girl or this man. But some of them in the house say, they are God. Their God must be something. Their God must be something wonderful. You know, I, I wish there is something in my life that I would, I, would, I would be like this person for. God is glorified. There are people that wonder, why would someone live like that? All right, so Christian, when maybe tomorrow, Next week, next year, no, next year, too early, this year, sometime down the month, year, you, are, you need to make a stand. You need to separate. You need to not run with certain people. You need to not be participating in certain things. Your parents pull you out of certain programs. Whenever you go to school and you feel that all the eyes are looking at you or you go to work or you go to your relative's house at Chinese New Year and everyone is looking at you and and your, your face is turning, blushing, and you're feeling all so uncomfortable, memorize this first. The Spirit of God come upon, no, rest. He's there with you. He's hugging you. I <laughs> mean, to speak human terms, He's embracing you. He's giving you the glory, right? That you're counted worthy to go through that. Don't, don't fail God, all right? Don't. Don't fail God as a stranger and pilgrim. Now, next one, question 11. I will try to finish this, the rest in five minutes. All right, question 11, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Question 11, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. You write this down and you go back and revise, all right? To care for. Now, please know, chapter 5, verse 1, to, uh, verse 2, feed. Huh? Feed is not what we always think is preaching, all right? Then you expect the ministry effective elder, uh, Mother Leong, to come up and preach. Now, feed, this word is, has the term under shepherd, means care for, all right? 
So both the administrative elder and the uh, pastor are supposed to feed, which is to care for. But the pastor has a different elder role, which is called the teaching elder role. And there he has an diff- additional feeding role, which is to feed you with the word of God. So when, when Christ said to Peter, feed my flock, all right? feed my sheep, feed my lamb, he is saying both care for as well as well teach them the word. All right? Administrative elders, feed is the administrative care, the spiritual care. All right? So when you go straight to guide you, to speak with you. So sometimes I will tell the elder, please go and speak with certain some and so and so to remind them of certain things because that is his role, all right, to care for you. So don't say, why are you pointing out my sin? Why are you troubling? Why, why are you picking on me? It's, it's the role of elders, all right? Now, to, and then next one is to give over, to take oversight in verse 2. means to rule, all right? So the elder must rule. The elder must not do so with constraint, but willingly means cannot be, I, I don't like to do this, uh, but I have to. No, the elder has a, a love so much for the church and for his sheep. Likewise for the pastor, that it does it like, like he, like I will do it for Sharon, right? Like I will do it for, like like he will do it for his, his children, for his own home, right? So is we do it because we love. The church loves you. That's why we do it. It must be like that, right? And then um, to be examples, right? To be examples to the flock in verse 3. So by our life, our testimony, our choices. All right, and then, all right, so some of these things, okay? So understand. Question number 12. Chapter 5, question number 12. 12, answer is 5, chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. All right? Now, why should we humble? What should be humble? Chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. Now, are you a proud person? Are you a proud Christian? Question is this, are you an insubmissive person? God says submit to the whole long list, huh? the whole long list of people and situation. God says submit. Now, if you do not want to submit, we won't humble yourself to submit. If you would not accept God's, what God allow in your life. Let's read verse, um, verse 5. The last part. Now, let me read to you. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, God says He resists the proud. After He talks about submitting to authorities, to masters, to husband, to, um, to elders, now He's summarized by saying this, I just told you to submit. Now, if you will not submit to all the, any of this authority, God says He resisteth the proud. Immediately, He dealt with not submitting, He resists you. I know some of you remember. What is this word resist? I hope that some of you remember. Uh, Joshua, do you remember what is this word resist? It's a very scary word. All right, next. Um, Jemima, do you remember resist? Eh, No, you haven't done that. Sorry, asking wrong group. Uh, Adults, Jonathan, Jonathan Lowe, do you remember resist? I think Colin Chung remembers because he mentioned it, but he's behind. All right, last one. Benedict. Loudly. Very good. This word here literally means he opposes you. It's like he is your enemy. Don't think that God does not oppose people, even his own children. He opposes you. So God said, I want you to submit to these authorities. No, I don't like. 
I don't like what this authority decided, if, whether it's government or it's church. Now, anyone who, as long as what the government, um, your bosses, um, your husband, your church decides on something that is not sinful and you resist, please have this picture in your mind. When I read this, it's very scary. It makes me rethink about complaining about some things. God says, I literally will stand there and say, I oppose you. I'm against you. This way. You like that? You, you, you like God to do that? God literally says, He, he resists the power. He opposes you. That's what it is. Alright, so Christians, much of the chapter is written about strangers and pilgrims in submission. Right? Whether it's government, school, workplace, or church, these are institutions set up by God. Now, next one. 13. The answer, chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. Chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. What to do? Because of Satan. Satan, the roaring lion. Chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. In other words, pray. In other words, pray. All right? Turn to him. And through the day, always let your worries be handled by God. Right? Don't try and do things yourself wrongly. Right? I'm not saying there's no human responsibilities. And then be sober. What is be sober? Think clearly. Think using the word of God. Don't panic. Don't fear. Every time you say, ah, I don't, I, I don't want to go through this. Let me just compromise. All right? No one will know. God knows. Think clearly. I don't want to go through this, but the Spirit of God will rest upon you. All right? Be vigilant. Vigilant means what? Be very watchful. Be very alert. Whenever you hear something in the world, don't just take it as Bible truth. Check it against God's Word. All right? Be vigilant. The devil wants to destroy you. Please know that. Every moment of the day, he doesn't rest. He will keep hunting you and looking for opportunities to deceive you and make you fall. You have to be very alert. And you cannot be alert if the Word of God is not overflowing in your heart. If the Word of God is not overflowing in your heart, through your quiet time, through your reading, before you leave your house, you read, you memorize. If it is not there, how to think clearly, how to be vigilant. You don't even know how to think, how to react. People tell you, it's okay to marry unbelievers. It's okay. People tell you, it's okay to, to um, break the Sabbath. It's okay. People tell you, it's okay to take this kind of job. It's okay. You have no guide for you to think. All right? Now, Christian, at this point, I say this. Some of you are coming out to work. Some of you have just come out to work. Some of you may be changing job or have just changed job. Some of you are going through some, well, some changes in life. Don't look at them through the eyes of the flesh. Look at them through the lenses, the eyes of the Word of God, which is a spiritual lens. Everything is a spiritual battle. Everything, at every corner, at every decision, Satan and his minions are there lurking and waiting for you. Please know that. That is what God is saying. He walks about, he seeks he seeks means he's seeking, seeking till he finds. It's not a seek and it's hide and seek. I will seek till I find. 
means he will keep looking. This is the one that is not alert. This is the one that is not sober. This is the one that is not prayerful. This is the one that doesn't have much of God's word. This is the one. Go. Attack. Please know that. Look at everything with a spiritual lens. Don't just jump into decisions. Don't just, just um, make choices. Don't just pursue things without knowing that every corner is danger. All right? That is why I say, be sober, be vigilant. That's all I can say for now. Right? Now, let's move. Chapter, uh, verse, uh, question 14, chapter 5, verse 11. Now, what's the end purpose of God establishing you? Now, let's look at verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. Quickly, chapter 5, verse 10, please. Chapter 5, verse 10. Now, here is a very encouraging verse. But the God of all grace, who have called us into eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, may you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You say, yes, Lord, I want such a victorious life. Yes, I want to have all this so that I can go through all my trials with peace, with joy. Yes, I want to go through all this and not have consequences of sin. Yes, all those are true. But I want you to notice why God... Why God sends trials to perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you? Why? Verse 11. To Him be glory, dominion forever and ever. It is for the glory of God. It is not for you to morally, to have a moral compass. People like to become Christians as a moral compass. They say that, literally. Oh, this is a moral compass. You know, the word is very bad now. I want my children to become Christians so that they have a moral compass. Parents never say that. What they are meaning is this, so that in life uh, they make the right choices, they don't, they don't end up in addictions, they don't end up become gamblers, they don't end up making wrong choices, and then, ah, yeah, they suffer in their life. Do you realize that many Christian parents say that, many Christians become Christians, many Christians even pray and go to church and study God's word for that reason. So that, oh, I want to be spiritually strong. Good, but have you ever asked why? You know, Peter after he said this, he was so excited. It's not even the end of the letter yet. He couldn't hold himself. He had to say, for the glory of God. Christian, when they were going through all these trials, it was for the glory of God. Christian, when you have a difficult situation, it is for the glory of God. And when you, God, please strengthen me. Please make me prayerful. Please make me keep my quiet time. Please make me um, know your word. Please make me bring up godly seed. Everything is literally the Lord's prayer, right? To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That is what it is for. Change your perspective. As strangers and pilgrims, if you live for the glory of God, if you live for the glory of God, means total obedience and just to obey Him and He will always be the number one in all things in my life. And people will see Him as that in my life. And I will help people see who He is. If that is your aim, as a stranger and pilgrim, a job will be just a job. Family is just to bring up godly seed and to build up one another. Of course, there is love, and to show as Christ loved. Everything that you do in life is just to help you achieve this end. Nothing, nothing, is, well, nothing will interest you to build your roots. It will be like that. But will you be like that? Maybe I'll ask you, throughout the last one, uh, sorry, uh, one and a half hours or so, where was your mind? When you heard his revision, what was in your heart? When you're going through this, what was your attitude? Now, all that will tell you why you want to grow. Last question. 
State why and quote the verses about why it is important to embrace the peace of God. Chapter 5, verse 14. All right? He ends off by saying, Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Why does he want to tell them peace? Why does he want to wish them peace so that they won't be troubled? No. Actually, let me ask you, I hope that you remember. You're going through a lot of problems at work. You're going through a lot of problems in your health. You're going a lot of problems at home, in school. Why do you want peace? Who have not? Oh, Shane. Why do you want peace, Shane? Say again. So that I can be a witness for God. Why, why, why would, if you, if you did not want God's peace, you won't be a witness? Very good. Now, this is the peace that is God's peace, obviously. If you seek the world's peace, you either seek God's peace or the world's peace. If you want peace simply to, well, not feel so ashamed, not feel so traumatized, not feel so troubled, not feel so, uh, end up with sleepless night. If you want peace to avoid those things, then you think about these Christians at a time. If that is the peace that they're seeking, they will compromise. You just need to deny Christ. I'll give you back all your properties. You can sleep well at night. We won't come and trouble you anymore. Unless you want the peace of God, meaning to say, God, my, I want always God, my conscience to be clear with you that I did not compromise today, that I did not love the world instead of you, that I did not deny you, did not, that I did not fail you, that I was not disloyal to you. God, I have that peace even if I'm sleeping with my head on a rock and my back on sand in a cave, I will have peace. But if I have denied you, shamed you, compromised, live for myself instead of being a stranger and pilgrim, you can put me in a feather bed and in a palace, in the nicest hotel, with the nicest whatever, I will have no peace in my heart. Now the Christian, if you seek the peace of God, meaning to say, I will live a stranger's and pilgrim's life, whatever it may cost me, and whatever that my flesh love, I will, I will make up my mind that it's over this year. It's over this year. If you don't resolve that, you will not know this peace then you will slowly clamor after the peace of the world. Now, Christians, I hope that this gives a very quick overview and summary of some things that I hope will remain in our hearts till, God willing, someday down the road we visit First Peter again. Now, let us turn to God in prayer.